0: Good morning. morning. (laughs) I'm Ted Voltmer. I'm one of the pastors here at the chapel. And whether you're joining us here in Lincoln Park or in our acoustic service or over in Montclair or Wayne, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Today we're in the third week of a nine-week series on the book of Colossians. And Pastor Dave chose to preach through this book because he realized that sometimes we get so caught up in the busyness of life that we can miss the main point, which is Jesus himself. So the book of Colossians calls us back to the center of what this faith is about, and it reintroduces us to Jesus, because no matter who you are or what you're going through or where you may be headed, there's one thing that we all have in common. The thing we need most right now is simply Jesus. And the book of Colossians brings us face to face with him. Before I go on, I want to share one thing about Pastor Dave. So you saw he was in Columbia this week. Whenever he asks me to preach, I'll I'll take it. I'll always say yes because I only get a few opportunities each year. But in the week leading up to the Sunday, I can feel myself getting deeper And deeper inside my own head, which is really an ugly place. (laughs) And I'm thinking, what is this passage talking about? What am I gonna say? I I feel like I'm boring myself with this stuff. It gets ugly very fast. So earlier this week, Dave could hear me banging my head against the wall, and he stops by my office and he says, So, uh, how's it going? And I'm like, Fine, it's fine, no problem. You know, Columbia's not really that safe. I don't think you should be traveling there this week. Then we sat down and we worked through the passage, and he helped me outline this message that you're going to hear this morning. I have to say this, he's really a gifted teacher. I know you all know that, but when you see what he does from this side, and and you really start to appreciate what he brings to the pulpit every week, and so I just wanted to share that. So this week, we're continuing in Colossians 1. And if you were here last week, Pastor Dave told us that that if you want to walk in, in a way that pleases God, you need to be filled by Him. So if you look at your life and say, I don't like the way I'm walking, I don't like how things are going with my friendships or my work or my family or whatever, the solution is not just to try harder on your own, the solution is to check that you're allowing God to fill you. And that all starts by our relationship with him, and that relationship is only possible because of Jesus. So we're going to spend a few minutes today looking at Jesus. Today's passage talks a lot about reconciliation. When I read the passage in a few minutes, listen for the word reconcile. Now reconcile means to restore a relationship or to restore to harmony. Today's passage also talks about making peace, making peace, which is a great way to describe being reconciled. It restores peace and harmony in our lives. And we've all needed to be reconciled at some point, right? We certainly needed to be reconciled to God because at one point our relationship with Him was completely broken. But we've also had times in our life when we needed to be reconciled with others, Reconciled with a friend or a family member or a spouse or a parent. And if you've been through that, and I think we all have, then you've experienced the opposite of reconciliation, which is alienation. Alienation. Today's passage mentions that as well. The dictionary defines it as the state or experience of being isolated from a group to which one should belong or from an activity in which one should be involved. So being pushed away from a group that you used to be a part of or kept out of something that you were a part of before, we've all felt that. Early in my career, I worked for a CEO who was just mean. And it wasn't only that he was mean, it was like he enjoyed being mean. Anybody ever work for somebody like that? Oh, yeah, a lot of them. (laughs) Then you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, if, if you messed up or if you did something that he didn't like, you knew it. You knew it. And his way of letting everyone else know it was to not include you in important meetings. You'd see, you'd see everyone going into the conference room, uh, and you'd say, hey, what's going on? And they wouldn't make eye contact as they walked past your desk. He would call meetings and not invite you just to get back at you. There you are, out of the loop, not included, kept out of something that you used to be a part of. So, you, you, most of you know, I have two daughters, two daughters. Now, I'm sure that raising boys has its own challenges, okay, but teenage girls are like a whole other species. <laughs> a few weeks ago, my daughter, Nicole, she's 16, she came home upset because some of the girls in school were completely ignoring her. Okay, so, you know, I gently ask, well, did you do something or maybe say something that it upset them? And I thought that was a fair question. I'm trying to help here, but I got the sense that maybe I was off base when I got the sigh roll. That's an eye roll with a sigh. It's like, ugh, one of those. It's, it's, it's required when you're a teenage girl. So then Nicole went to Barb and my wife and Barb figured everything out and everything was fine. Alienating other people, though, isn't something we need to learn. We just know how to do it because of our sinful nature. Years ago, Samantha was babysitting this little girl in our neighborhood. They're playing a game together, and the girl asks Sam, hey, do you want to see my jerk list? And Sammy's like, oh, what? She goes, yeah, I have a list of all the kids I don't play with anymore because they're jerks. (laughs) I know. So it doesn't matter how old we are or what stage of life we're in, feeling isolated and lonely is a terrible place to be. We try to get through it, we stand up for ourselves, but what we long for is someone to come alongside us, somebody who understands what's happening and who can help restore things, someone who's qualified to do that. Thankfully, God's Word has something to say to us about that. Listen as I read from Colossians 1, verses 15 to 23. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is God's word. Verse 21 tells us that once you were alienated from God, something we did to ourselves by choosing our way over his way, and it all started in the garden with Adam and Eve. They chose to do things their way, doing what they wanted instead of what God had commanded. And sin came into the world, breaking the perfect relationship that they had with God and also breaking the relationship that they had with each other. Sin does that. It's not something we can fix on our own. It's a big problem that only God could fix, and he did that through Jesus. So today we're going to look at who he is what he's done, and what it means. Who Jesus is, what he's done, and what it means. Now, the first four verses of this passage are really packed with details about Jesus. This is actually where I was stuck earlier in the week. Some commentaries say that this was actually a hymn of the early church used to teach people about Jesus and who he was. Either way, Paul packs a lot of theology into these verses to describe Jesus, but I want to focus on three truths, just three truths that we see here. First, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. One of the reasons that Paul is writing to the Colossians is because false teachers have been attacking Christianity, and it was starting to affect the believers in Colossae. Rather than attack Christianity directly itself, these false teachers sought to discredit Jesus. Some argued that he never existed at all or that he was a spirit that just looked like a man, but he didn't suffer and die because spirits can't do those things. Others argued that he was just a man and not God. We still hear these same arguments today. The names change, but the basic arguments stay the same. The atheist Bertrand Russell, in his essay, Why I Am Not a Christian, wrote, "'Historically, it's quite doubtful whether Christ ever existed at all. And if he did, we know nothing about him.'" And then he went on to say this, "'I cannot myself feel that either in the matter of wisdom or in the matter of virtue, Christ stands quite as high as some other people known to history. I think I should put Buddha and Socrates above him in those respects.'" And to that, Paul would say, really? Buddha and Socrates? Paul writes in verse 15 that Jesus, and only Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. And then later on in verse 19, he says that all of God's fullness, everything that God was, dwelled in him, in Jesus there's a couple of ideas being expressed here. One, that Jesus reflects the likeness of God, the likeness of God. Like the image on, the, on a quarter is the likeness of George Washington. The second idea is that Jesus is a perfect manifestation, manifestation of God's being in nature. That just means that Jesus is evidence and proof of God's very being. And that's why John could write in his gospel, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes that we can see God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So when one of his disciples, Philip, asked Jesus, Lord, just, just show us the Father, and that will be enough, Jesus replies, really, Philip? Don't you see, I've been here all this time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Why is this important? Well, people still attack Christianity by arguing about who Jesus is, so it's important that we know the truth. A Jehovah's Witness, for example, would say that God created Jesus and that he's separate from God. He's not even part of the Trinity. But we see in Scripture that that's just not true. But it's important for another reason. In a minute, we'll talk about what Jesus did, what he did, and we'll see that that would not have worked if he wasn't fully God. So, Jesus is God, and today's passage also shows us that he's the creator. He's the creator. Look back at verse 16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Paul wants us to see the awesome power that Christ has, so he explains his role in creation. Look at the, pre- look at the prepositions that he uses here. In him, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus planned creation, he produced it, and he is the purpose behind it all. It's no wonder that while he was on earth, he could control the wind and the waves, disease, and even death. He's the creator. The amazing thing, though, is that Christ was willing to set all that aside, all that power aside, to go to the cross for you and me. But there's another reason why this is important. As our creator, Jesus knows us best, and he can provide help when we need it. Now, of course, if you're sick, see a doctor. If you're depressed, talk to a counselor. God provides them to help in those areas. But if the root of your problem is a spiritual one, and many of our physical and emotional struggles actually start out there, then Jesus is uniquely qualified to help. There's an old story that's almost legend now about Charles Steinmetz. He was an electrical engineer and a peer of Thomas Edison and Einstein and Tesla and others. His his designs led to many advances in electric motors. So when Henry Ford was having a problem with one of the gigantic generators that powered his auto plants, he called Charles Steinmetz to come and help him. So Charles spent two days and nights in the plant just listening to the generator and making calculations. Then he asked for a ladder and he climbed up to the side of the generator and he marked an X in a specific spot. He told the Ford engineers that that's where they'd find the problem and and they did. And after they fixed it, the generator ran perfectly. So Steinmetz sent Henry Ford a bill for $10,000, which was a crazy amount back then. And Henry Ford was like, what? You know, you just did you didn't do much. You marked an X. Can you break this down for me? And so Steinmetz wrote back, making a chalk mark, one dollar. Knowing where to make the chalk mark, <laughs> $9,900. Yeah. Ford paid the bill. Jesus designed us, and he knows best how to help us. So Jesus is God, he's the creator. And third, he's alive. He's alive. Paul, Paul goes on to say that, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body of the church. Here it is. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. The firstborn from among the dead refers to Christ's resurrection, the first one to come back from, from the dead. Paul's reminding us that we have a living Savior who even now mediates, who advocates for us before God. Paul told Timothy that Jesus mediates between God and man. Jesus intercedes for us daily. Paul Tillich was a very influential theologian and philosopher in the 1900s. On a trip to Asia, he met with a group of leading Buddhist thinkers, and he asked them, what what if the Buddha had never lived? What would that mean to Buddhism? It's an interesting question. The scholars didn't hesitate. They said right away, it wouldn't matter at all. Buddhism is a philosophy, it's a set of principles for living. The Buddha himself was not important. You see the contrast here? The living Christ is better than philosophy. Jesus didn't just leave us with good teachings to follow, he's alive. After taking our punishment on the cross, he rose from the dead and now he lives for us in heaven. And that takes us to our second point what he's done. What he's done. Verse 19, Paul says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself, to God, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So here it is. The problem is that sin, our desire to do things our way instead of God's way, has separated us from God. And there's nothing we can do on our own to restore that relationship. God had to fix it. God had to reconcile us. And he did that first by sending Jesus to earth to live among us. To become one of us, fully man and yet fully God at the same time. And because of that, because Christ is fully man, He understands your suffering. He, he knows what you're going through. Did you hear the story this week about Sharon Grimm, the kindergarten teacher from Houston? This is Sharon. One of the little girls in her class, Priscilla, was being bullied by the other kids because they said she looked like a boy. She looked like a boy. It got so bad because she had short hair. It got so bad that she didn't want to go to school anymore. So what did Sharon do? Next slide. She cut her hair. (laughs) She came home and her son said, mom, you look like a boy. (laughs) But it was worth it to Sharon. Sharon said, this is what she said. This is so great. Sometimes you just have to experience things for yourself and you have to teach the kids and show them that you're there for them. To that, Jesus would say, amen. So we have this problem. Sin separates us from God. God sent Jesus to earth to ultimately be a sacrifice for our sins, and he had to die on the cross as punishment for what we did. And we hear that, and we wonder if there was another way to do this. Was there something else that God had God could have done to fix this situation? And the answer is no. The answer is no. Here's how Tim Keller explains it. Because of the guilt and condemnation on us, a just God, a holy and just God, can not simply shrug off our sins. Being sorry is not enough. We would never allow an earthly judge to let a wrongdoer off just because he was contrite. <clears throat> how much less should we expect a perfect heavenly judge to do so? Our sin creates a debt, a set, and a sacrifice has to be made to pay off that debt. And before you say that God's not being fair, we would do the same thing. If you leave here today and someone runs into your car and puts a big dent in it, hopefully not in our parking lot, they might be really sorry that they did it. They could apologize a thousand times. Maybe they'd explain that it wasn't really their fault. They've been having a bad uh, day, and I promise it'll never happen again. But the dent is still there. Someone has to pay to fix that car. That's what Jesus did for us. Our relationship with God was broken, and God made peace between us and Him through Christ's blood shed on the cross in our place. So Jesus alone is uniquely qualified to intercede for us because He's God. He's the creator, and he's alive today, and he paid the penalty for our sins in order to reconcile us to God, restoring the relationship that we had with him, and that is good news. But what does it mean for us today? Look at verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, once all of us were alienated from God. That word literally means transferred to another owner. We belonged to someone else. And we were enemies of God, hostile towards him in our minds. It affects our thoughts, our attitudes, our very person, how we think about ourselves and how we think about others. And this alienation and these these evil thoughts affects how we live and then how we treat those around us. Do you see the, the vicious cycle at work here? We feel alienated, and that triggers negative thoughts and bitterness and loneliness, so we lash out, hurting ourselves and hurting those closest to us, which leads to feeling more isolated. And the negative thoughts take over and cause more pain, and the cycle begins again and again. But God doesn't leave us there. Look at the next verse. But now, but now, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body, through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation once we were alone stuck in our negative thoughts and actions but now but now after accepting christ and what christ did for us god sees us as holy set apart for him he sees us without blemish as perfect well how can that be i'm still here i'm still me But once we accept Christ as our Savior, He is in us, and we are in Him. That's why Paul could write, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So when God looks at us, He sees Jesus in us, and we look perfect. And last, God sees us as free from accusation, blameless. He doesn't hear what others say about us. He doesn't hear what we say about ourselves. He doesn't hear what lies Satan is telling about us. We are blameless because of what Jesus did. So when you are feeling down and beating yourself up and flooded with negative thoughts, listen to God's voice saying that you're holy and perfect and free from guilt. Picture it this way. The cross changes everything. Changes everything. Once we are alienated from God, trying to do things on our own and struggling to make life work our way, this is life on the other side of the cross. We find ourselves filled with hate and despair, feeling anxious Frustrated with work and family and friends, bitter and angry, putting ourselves first, going from conflict to conflict to conflict, generally our life feels like it's out of control. But now, but now after we accept what Christ has done for us, we're reconciled with God, our relationship with Him is restored, and with Christ in us and with the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, our lives can change. Instead of hate and despair, we can be filled with love and joy. Instead of struggling with anxiety, we can have peace. Instead of frustration, uh, we can reach out to those around us with patience and kindness. Instead of frustration and bitterness, goodness replaces anger. Selfishness gives way to faithfulness to God. Gentleness overcomes conflict. And we start to gain control over our thoughts and our lives through the power of Christ. And all this is because of what Christ did for us on the cross. The cross proves the depths of God's love for each one of us and demonstrates the lengths to which Christ will go for those that he loves. The good news gets even better. We've been talking about being reconciled to God. Our vertical relationship is restored because of what Christ did on the cross, but our horizontal relationships with each other get better as well. Here's what I mean. When we appreciate what God did for us, when we realize that we did nothing to earn this, in the passage we're looking at today, there's no mention of us at all. We didn't deserve it. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works. Then that truth has to change the way that we act towards each other when I can honestly see the ugliness of my sin and know that God still loved me enough to forgive me, then I have to live my life differently. I have to be willing to extend forgiveness towards others. Paul summed it up this way when he wrote to the Ephesians, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, tender-hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Taking time every day to remember <clears throat> the grace that God shows me will help me show grace to my wife and to my kids and to my coworkers, to everyone. <clears throat> Christ alone was uniquely qualified to make peace between us and God. Through his death on the cross, Jesus restored our relationship with God and gives us the power we need to restore our relationships with each other. The act of communion reminds us that we have been reconciled to God. And it gives us what we need to reconcile with each other. So it's fitting that we celebrate communion today. Servers, please go back to prepare to serve. And let's prepare our hearts for communion. Let me just pray for us while we do this. Father God in heaven, what a gift you've given us. Through your Son, you brought us back to you. We thank you for that gift. We just pray now as we approach communion that you'd quiet our hearts, that we'd feel your presence, and that you would guide us during this time. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.